Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort, and this is our first Transit Unplugged episode of 2022. And very excited to have as our guest today, Mr. Kevin Quinn. He is Chief Executive Officer of TransLink and formerly the CEO of MTA Maryland in Baltimore, where he succeeded me as Chief Executive. On today's episode, Kevin talks about his work in Baltimore and what he's doing now in Vancouver, Canada. Remember that our new video podcast program, Transit Unplugged TV, will premiere on Friday, January 14th on YouTube. Subscribe today on our YouTube channel, Transit Unplugged TV. And now for our interview with Kevin Quinn. Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm Paul Comfort. Great to be with you on another episode of the world's leading transit executive podcast. We have with us one of the top CEOs in Canada and actually in all of North America, my good friend, Kevin Quinn, who is CEO of TransLink in Vancouver, Canada. Thanks for this transcontinental call, Kevin. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Paul. Yeah. Kevin and I go way back. We're friends. We used to work together at the same agency in Baltimore, and he did tremendous things there and now is on to really one of the premier transit systems in North America. Your predecessor, Kevin Desmond, um, made it easy for you, right? People don't have to remember a new name. That's exactly right. It's the, it's the uh, bad news and good news. Good news is they all know my name. Bad news is they all know my name. Oh, that's good. <laughs> so um, so let, let's uh, give us a little context. Where you're at, how long you've been there, what you do, that kind of stuff to kick us off. Sure. So uh, my family and I arrived in Vancouver after traveling 5,000 kilometers, 3,000 miles, uh, you know, across the U.S., uh, across the border, uh, you know, around Seattle. And we've been here since July. And um, it's been great so far, really getting settled, settled into the job. It's uh, full on drinking from a fire hose, uh, but it's been great. The, the staff at TransLink are amazing uh, and family is settling in really, really well. That's great. Uh, climate wise, so you've been there six months. I mean, compared to where you're at here in Maryland, what do you, what's the difference, do you think? Uh, right now, it's it's so November was pretty rainy. Uh, in fact, we had some really torrential, um, oh yeah, atmospheric rivers, yeah, that washed out some some uh, highways. I mean, it was really pretty catastrophic flooding that will take months to recover from. And fortunately, we didn't see too many um, big transit impacts as a result of that. But you know, certainly raises questions around climate change and resiliency and all that kind of stuff. So um, uh, a, a bit rainier here than okay, Maryland. Yeah. Um, also, you know, very beautiful, the mountains, the trees, just everything. It's great for hiking. You know, I'm a runner. So going out and running has been, uh, it's been great. Yeah, that's awesome, Kevin. I can't tell you how happy I am for you and for that region. I mean, yeah. I, I can't imagine having anybody better than you to do that. And uh, you fit right in, Mr. Cool and all that. You fit in there today. So I think it's great. <laughs> but it is funny. We're doing this on audio and video. People will only see the, will only hear the audio. But the thing you've got on the wall behind you, the bicycle, it's the same thing you used to have when we talked when you were here in Maryland. So That's right. Yeah. Apparently when I did, um, you know, some, some interview stuff when I was first announced for the job, I had the bicycle behind me. Apparently it went over well with the folks in Vancouver, big <laughs> bicycling community. You know, uh, Vancouver actually has the largest uh, integrated uh, bike parking network in all of Canada. and has more than 500 really? bike lockers. So really big uh, biking wow. community. Yeah. So, um, uh, so anyways, I thought yeah. I'd throw it up in the wall behind me here at home and <laughs> uh, keep it up there. The more things change, the more things change. <laughs> That's right. So uh, tell me about kind of uh, your road. Uh, to TransLink, you know, let's go through your career and all so people yeah. can hear what you've done. 
Sure. So I guess started my career, uh, you know, as a community planner with Baltimore City for a few years and, and worked in Baltimore City planning department. I was a, a community planner for East Baltimore, um, which was a great job. And uh, certainly in terms of getting up in front of people and uh, having people yell at you for all kinds of issues that you can't do anything about. And um, that was good. I, I often look back at that as kind of boot camp for, for where I am today. Uh, and then from there, moved on to a couple of private consulting firms doing transit consulting. You know, one of those was as a, an embedded consultant at MTA doing uh, rural transit planning on the on the eastern shore and in western Maryland with the locally operated transit system, the LOTS group, um, which I think gave me a real good feel for how smaller agencies work with really tight budgets where it's, you know, 15 drivers and a manager. And sometimes the manager is the driver too, right? So uh, that was a great introduction and then, you know, moved my way up and became the director of planning, uh, working under uh, CEO Paul Comfort uh, for a couple of years. Uh, you know, my you very know, first picture and the job is with you and me at my conference room table, along with the guy that did bikes. I forget his name, but it was the three of us. Yeah, yeah, I'm not surprised. So, yeah, uh, did yeah. that as director of planning and, and we did our big uh, bus network redesign Baltimore link. And well, you were there with that. Robert, too, though, right? Weren't you planning was. director with him? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So I was appointed under uh, right under Robert. Um, Robert and Smith, then, my good buddy, who I work right. with now a lot through the North American Transit Alliance. That's we were just together in Washington, D.C. this week. I was like, Robert, isn't it hilarious? We're both working together now. <laughs> it's just, it's so uh, incestuous, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, no, that's great. It's, uh, uh, and then uh, became CEO, right? And, you know, led him. Four years, right? For four years, a, yeah. a good four years. I want um, to uh, note to our listeners that prior to that, the MTA in Baltimore had had an average tenure of two years. So we correct. had 10, uh, 10 CEOs in 20 years, I think is what it was. And then you doubled that, Kevin. So you must have been doing something right. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Yeah, yeah we, did, we did some good stuff. You know, Baltimore Link, we, we rolled out some new yeah. dedicated bus lanes. We cleaned up the bus system. We improved on-time performance, invested in technology. Um, so some really good things. Yeah. Probably why you got the job out there, right? You did some good things. Yeah. <laughs> we um, let a lot into it. Tell me a little bit about, because it's this is a key to a lot of transit agencies, on-time performance. And um, I mean, you really did some good stuff and we're reporting accurate numbers, which I wasn't able to do when I was there because they didn't have good GPS. But uh, tell us what you did and how you did it, if you if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. So, you know, for many, many years, um, MTA had an on-time performance in the, you know, high 50s. I mean, it it's kind of right. embarrassing to say, right? I know it is, um, isn't it? Yeah. It's kind of embarrassing, you know, 57, yeah. 58, you know, on a yeah. good day, 60% uh, on-time performance. And that was at a, you know, plus seven, minus two, right? That's even with a wide window. <laughs> um, and so we had a lot of cleanup to do. And a big piece of that was investing in real-time technology. So we, yes. we took the whole 750 bus fleet and we outfitted them with uh, GPS devices uh, through um, uh, Swiftly and worked with Swiftly, they have a great uh, dashboard and interface. And so over the next couple of years, it was a, quite a quite an effort. Um, we got on-time performance. We The highest we hit was actually the month before the pandemic hit. Uh, on February, February of March, uh, sorry, February of 2020 was our highest on-time performance ever. And we hit, I think, 80.5%. Wow. And so we had jumped from 60 to 80 Took us a while to get there, but we but we did, and um, that was through some really hard work through the the operations team for sure. Yeah, that's something, Kevin. Congratulations on that, by the way. That's that's a yeoman's accomplishment to to bump up uh, OTP by that much. And your paratransit had great OTP as well. 
That's exactly right. Yeah, Paratransit uh, had very good on-time performance for sure. Um, uh, we worked with the uh, contractors to really just be sure that OTP stayed up uh, and kept our, our mobility, our paratransit riders really, really happy. If you had to sum up, you know, kind of a summary statement of, you know, maybe what you're most proud of for, uh, from your time at MTA, uh, what do you think that would be? Your most, you know, your proud isn't the right word, I know, you know, because ah. it's a lot of hard work. It's not like, you know, you get a badge. You never get, you know, a badge for anything, it seems like. But you did so many cool things. What would be the, what do you think one of the best things? What? I mean, it doesn't have to be the best, but one of the yeah. best. Yeah. I mean, I'd say that, you know, technology was a big one, yeah. really kind of bringing uh, the the uh, MTA to a more state-of-the-art place with technology and whether that was real-time on the buses, rolling out the first uh, mobile payment technology with oh, yeah, uh, right. the, the Charm Pass, um, uh, getting on-time performance up. We actually took all that data and it's now transparent, uh, fully transparent on the MTA website. So you can look by route, by day, what the OTP was for that day. I mean, that's pretty tremendous, right? Taking yeah. that data, not just on the external side with customers and giving them that data so they can see where their bus is in real time, but internally using that data to drive performance and to be transparent about it to the public. Uh, all, all in all, I think of some of those technology improvements were, were um, uh, pretty, uh, pretty game-changing for the MTA. Absolutely. Getting the, getting the place out of the 1980s, I used to always say. That's right. Um, and last question about MTA would be, what did you do about fare boxes and all that? When I left, we didn't have any money in the capital budget for fare boxes and they were falling apart and our guys were going on eBay to get parts and everything. What finally happened there? Yeah. So, um, you know, as of when I left, we had an RFP going to completely uh, reform and, and uh, you know, change the, the whole fare system. So new fare boxes, new ticket vending machines, account-based platform. Um, but, you know, maybe your next guest is uh, is new MTA administrator, Holly Arnold. Yeah, we should get Holly out. Talk about what's happened in the six months that you left. I, I would love to have her on. That'd be great. Uh, all right. So now let's let's uh, segue over to your new job at uh, at Vancouver, Canada. So tell us about the agency itself, you know, any stats or anything to kind of give us a scope of the work you're doing there. Sure. So, you know, TransLink's a really uh, interesting enterprise that you, you've got kind of TransLink corporate. You also have Coast Mountain Bus Company. That is really the bus company, about 1,700 buses. 250 bus routes. I mean, it's really a pretty massive uh, bus system. I used to think that Baltimore was a really big bus system with our, what, 60, 65 bus routes, right? And I come yes. here and there's 200, 250. Wow. Um, uh, under TransLink is also um, the BC Rapid Transit Company or BCRTC, which runs the SkyTrain. Okay. So, you know, SkyTrain runs um, I don't know, around 80 kilometers of rapid transit, but, you know, trains, it's uh, North America's largest autonomous train system. So, mm. you know, actually, I, when I first got here, we did some media interviews and I, I joked in one of those media interviews how my first couple of days on the job, I was waving at the trains because I usually you wave at the drivers, right? For years <laughs> in Baltimore, I'd wave at the drivers, yeah, yeah. they'd wave back and that was that. And yeah. so I felt kind of silly waving at the autonomous train. Um, but it's an amazing train system, runs at really yeah. high frequencies. The bus system's at good frequencies. Um, they also have their handy dart system, which is, you know, your accessible transit, very similar to a paratransit system in the United States. Okay. Uh, West, West Coast Express, which, uh, you know, is about uh, 70 kilometers. That's their commuter rail system, much smaller than the Mark system in Maryland, which is around, I don't know, 200 miles of, you know, commuter rail. Um, and then there's the, the, the one that I'm really excited about is the C-Bus. Right. So now I have sort of fairies in my portfolio as well, which is That's really awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's yeah. cool. And, and you are linked up like with your neighbor, right? Aaron Pinkerton, do your guys, she yeah. runs BC Transit. So for people in America, Canada doesn't have states, it has provinces. And your province is British Columbia, but you're the biggest part of it, right? In Vancouver. That's exactly right. So we're the transit provider for Metro Vancouver, which encompasses 23 uh, municipalities, essentially. Okay. Uh, and so, you know, we run adjacent to a BC Transit. So, you know, there's a lot of coordinating of schedules with BC Transit, coordinating schedules with BC ferries. There's a there's a massive, you know, ferry system here as well. Right. Not that we run, we just have passenger ferries. But um, so uh, there's a lot of schedule coordination. But, you know, Aaron is, is fantastic to work with. And I know a big goal of ours is to get all of us on a single uh, integrated fare platform. So we're oh, having cool. some discussions about that, which, of course, is you know what everybody and every agency wants to do, right? Yeah, so that's a big one. And I got to visit there just before the pandemic. Maybe it was November of nineteen. I'm thinking, and uh, I got to fly in with the um, the plane coming down into the harbor, you know, the seaplane out of Seattle. That was awesome. Have you done that yet? I haven't. I had the I, I the other day. I took the ferry over and I took the helijet back oh, over. Wow. And that was pretty cool. I uh, bet I'll, you that was. That was pretty neat. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what are the biggest things you're working on now, Kevin? So we've got some uh, some big things. We've got a couple of big line extensions. We've got uh, a Surrey-Langley SkyTrain. It's an 18-kilometer extension of the SkyTrain system. The Broadway subway project is another, I think it's eight-kilometer extension. Um, but, you know, big billion dollar projects, uh, billions of dollars being spent on expansion of the SkyTrain system and, and associated, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a big land use planner. And so, yes. you know, really uh, associated improvements in density around rail stations, um, improvements like that. So that's that's the big one. The big thing that we're finalizing right now is uh, Transport 2050, which is the region's 30 year plan. So, you know, it's interesting, TransLink in a way, uh, serves a bit kind of like an MPO at times in the United States and in, in doing, you know, very long range planning and modeling. Uh, and so it's really cool to have in house. So we lay out the 30 year plan, which has big goals like 50% uh, mode share on transit, walking and cycling uh, by 2050, um, big uh, carbon emissions goals, uh, rollout of 850 kilometer bikeway network, an additional 300 kilometers of rapid transit. So it's it's setting this very, very bold vision of massive rapid transit expansion throughout the entire uh, region, which is really, really cool since the region is supposed to expand, is projected to expand by a million people um, in, uh, in the next 30 years. Wow. So that's really cool. And then uh, I guess the last one I'll just note is electrification of our fleet, which I'm sure you're hearing from a lot of transit agencies, right? So um, we already have, uh, I don't know, a quarter of the fleet currently electrified through electric okay. trolleys or uh, some battery electric buses, but really massive expansion of that uh, of that program. That's cool. And um, what are you finding are the biggest differences, you know, coming right from America, going to a Canadian system? Are there any big differences that stand out to you or is it very similar or what? Yeah, I'd say two. You know, I spoke earlier about kind of the frequencies of the bus and the rail system. And I think that the Canadian systems, they really understand this whole concept of, of frequency is freedom, right? That, oh, that I like you that. need a very high frequency system that people don't have to have a schedule to rely on for, you know, fast, frequent service. And so this region has it. The, the bus service is, you know, most uh, lines are every few minutes, the SkyTrain oh, wow. every three or four minutes. I mean, the frequencies here are just off the charts compared to a lot of a lot of American cities. 
I think the other piece is um, uh, land use wise, they've done a good job building things up around the SkyTrain stations. And so I think um, that's pretty tremendous. That's good. What's so we're recording this like in the middle of December. People will hear it as our very first episode uh, of January 2022. Tell us about the um, kind of COVID recovery. What's been happening there? Where are you at now at, at the end of the 2021? Sure. So um, in March 2020, TransLink dropped down to about 17% of normal ridership levels and uh, and then kind of creeped up throughout 2020 and most of 2021 and plateaued at around 40% for maybe a year. Uh, and really, with since May, we've seen um, increases in ridership uh, since May. And so we sit here today at about 60, 61% of pre-COVID ridership. Uh, what's really interesting is we're starting to see when people have some place to go that uh, are our best days, right? So we've seen it on, um, there's a big festival uh, uh, in North Vancouver that everybody went to uh, on Halloween. And then we Recently, like data, I just got yesterday uh, that on Black Friday, uh, we actually set sort of our new uh, sort of uh, record. So right around 62, 63%. Um, we've got projections showing that by the end of 2022, we should be, uh, we're projecting to be back up to 80%. Uh, but okay. we'll see, you know, everything keeps getting thrown for a loop. Everyone says we're going back up and then Delta hits, you know, and then right. we're on a trajectory and then the Omicron hits and you never know what's going to happen. So We'll see where we end up. Have you found this is a good time to kind of, like a lot of agencies have, reflect on, you know, what you think the passengers want today? It's really what Baltimore Link was all about, right? It was about taking yeah. old routes that were 50 years old and bringing them to where they are today. Are you doing some of that there? Are you figuring out new, you know, approaches to mobility? Yeah, I think, you know, what I've really challenged the staff to do is is to rethink the product. And, and you know, are we really meeting the needs of the region? And you know, that has changed a lot based on some of the, the uh, geographic aspects of the region. So south of the Fraser, we're seeing, you know, 70% ridership recovery, whereas, you know, on average it's 60%. So you start looking at it like geographically. Um, we've taken a look at it sort of from a technology standpoint as well. So working with the transit app, for example, we started providing, um, you know, bus capacity uh, data, you know, how many people are on a bus that you can see in real time so that people can make a decision you know, uh, based on their own safety levels, whether they want to get on a crowded bus or not. Right. I think it's these types of projects of putting information in people's hands. That's really kind of the future of the industry. How do we give people more information and allow them to make their own decisions? Everyone feels a little differently around overcrowding. Some people are like, oh, I've got a mask on. It's fine. We do have mandated masks, by the way. And some people say, no, 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 you know, I'll wait for the next bus. And I think there's what's emerging is sort of this um, recognition of there's a, a individuality, right? That everyone looks at it a little differently. And we've got to, in a way, you know, have a product that responds to everyone. It's not just sort of one rider or sort of, you know, captive versus choice riders anymore. There's quite an array of passengers uh, and we've got to meet all their needs. That's good. Let's talk about funding. Um, so, you know, here in the U.S., uh, we just had this big infrastructure bill passed, which is going to, you know, help a lot of uh, transit agencies and overall transportation mobility through infrastructure. And I remember, like, the last time I was talking with someone up there, it, okay. it may have been Marco, you know, from CUDA, about how they were able to get uh, Ottawa to put money, match operating dollars from the provinces. And your, your province is one of the first ones, I think, to step up. Where are we at now for operating dollars for Canadian systems going into 2022? Sure. So we received about $650 million in senior government funding in, in 2020. And that was to go towards kind of filling that operating funding gap 
um, made with decreased fare revenue and, and fill that gap in 2020 and 2021. So we've run through those funds as of uh, most of them, the end of this year, we'll have some that'll creep into 2022. Um, but we, you know, our 2022 budget is projecting a deficit of um, right around $50 million. And so we've been working with the province and the federal government, having very productive conversations, but there's, there's a few things going on. So you know, one is this loss of fair revenue from riders and the recognition that, you know, we may be entering kind of a new normal of reduced ridership for a period of time. And so, like, let's not sit here and pretend that ridership in three months is going to be back to 100 percent. It's not. Right, right. So let, we, we need a we need a revenue stream and a sustainable funding source that allows us to continue to provide uh, high levels of service for the region um, and not be threatening cuts. Right. The second piece of this is the fuel tax. Uh, again, something a lot of U.S. Uh, states and cities are seeing where there's such a, a shift towards EVs that, you know, um, we, we've got to figure out a, a new sustainable funding source for that fuel tax. And I think we've got a chance to do that, again, having very productive conversations. But these two things are contributing to quite a long-term deficit that we're seeing that we've got to, we've got to figure out the new normal and lay a new foundation. And is your funding... Uh, you know, like when we were here in Baltimore, like Baltimore city government really put next to nothing into the transit system. They had their own system, uh, but most of it came from the state and federal government. How's the funding shares up there at your system? Is it city as well as province, as well as some federal, mostly for capital? Yeah, that's right. So it's, it's, it's all capital uh, aside from that, uh, those funds I just referenced, it's, it's, it's all capital. And so a lot of it comes um, from the federal Canadian government through the province and then flows down through the province uh, to TransLink. And so, um, but we do rely on municipalities to contribute a lot uh, as well. There's not really a set when it comes to municipality projects, a set funding amount. There, there's a lot of negotiation that takes, uh, that makes, takes place. I'm finding yeah, <laughs> the the fun politics. You're good at that stuff, there, Kevin. You're probably better than I was. You <laughs> you uh, you're really good at that. Hey, let's take a last segment here and talk about the future. So, tell me about you know what do you see coming for not only Vancouver but all of Canada and maybe even our industry. What are your thoughts on the future of mobility? I think um, you know. I got to say, for the next few years, uh, it may be a bit of uh, status quo of focusing on the basics. You, you know, we're not in any position. And I think a lot of agencies are in a position to do kind of huge, big kind of innovations. Right. And so I think for our part, there's a lot of focus on the basics of blocking and tackling. Right. Just, you know, what what do riders want? Right. If you were to go ask the average rider, what do you want? They say, I want the bus to come on time. I want it to come. I want it to come on time. I want you to tell me when it's not going to come. I want the trains to run on time. And so there's a big focus that I think we have to have on that. Um, you know, I'm, uh, I tend to be on the more skeptical side of uh, a lot of the, the, the brand new innovations, I don't know that I necessarily want to be sort of on the bleeding edge of things. Um, uh, I think there's a lot of agencies out there doing that. I, I'd like to learn from them. And I think we've got some opportunities for, you know, some micro transit, you know, we're, we are rolling out some shared mobility, um, uh, micro transit around e-bikes and e-scooters and things like that. And I think, you know, the more that we can push people towards active transportation is is going to be really important. Um, and, as, uh, you know, aside from that, I think it's, you know, rapid transit is where it's at. You can't sort of um, argue against sort of the geometry that exists with getting buses through a dense urban area that's been really successful here. And eventually, I'm sure we'll get to 
the connected vehicle part where, you know, the buses are communicating with traffic signals and all that kind of fun stuff. We'll get there. And I'm sure we'll get to the AV part, uh, you know, eventually as well. But I think for right now, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's really serving our customers that have stayed with us throughout the pandemic and being sure that we're doing the basics uh, as best we can. That's great. And family, everybody's good. You mentioned, uh, I don't know if you mentioned it when we were on the air or not, but for the, for all your friends back in Baltimore and everywhere else, family's doing good, settling in and all that. Yeah. My wife, my two kids, uh, everybody's settled in really, really nicely. Kids are in schools where, you know, everything's bigger here. So there's bears, there's, you know, coyotes. I mean, it really is, uh, uh, you know, British Columbia is a pretty amazing place. And so uh, the wildlife has been a lot of fun for the kids. I'll tell you that. That's great. Yeah. It is. I mean, just as a kind of maybe we end on a commercial for that area. Yeah. I, I found that area to be one of the most beautiful areas I've ever been in the world. It absolutely is. It is gorgeous here. And, and if you're into hiking, uh, you're into running, you're into water sports, skiing, you know, I've got like three ski slopes, you know, 30 minutes away. I mean, that are world-class. I mean, it's, it's a pretty amazing area. So I, I feel very lucky to be here and very lucky to run uh, a really fantastic uh, transportation authority. That's great. Well, hopefully when things calm down, I can come up and visit our uh, our producer lives near there, Tris Hussey. He lives in your area and would love to meet you. We come out there and do a video show and show all the behind the scenes stuff. That might be fun. Oh, we'd love to do that, Paul. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks again for being with us, Kevin. Any final thoughts uh, as we close out um, that you'd like to pass on from your role there? I guess I'd just say that, you know, um, you know, a key tenant for me is to always recognize that transit is about is about relationships and it's about trust with your customers. Right. And, you know, whether that's uh, trust with customers or trust with your employees, being sure that you're always out there emphasizing people's safety, that, uh, you know, that they know they have a voice in their system. And, you know, we're coming out of a time where there's, you know, there's a lot of mistrust going around. And so the more that Every agency can build up their their trust with their riders. I think the better off they're going to be. Wow, what a great way to close it off, Kevin. Kevin Quinn, CEO of TransLink. Thank you for being our guest today on Transit Unplugged. We've waited a long time to get you, and we're glad you finally came on. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Transit Unplugged and our guest, Kevin Quinn of TransLink. And yes, as Paul said, I live in the TransLink area, frequent rider. Bus operator lives five doors down from me, and a 342 goes right by my house. And next week, Paul interviews a couple recipients of Mass Transit Magazine's 40 Under 40 Awards. As Paul mentioned at the beginning of the show, January 14th is the premiere episode of Transit Unplugged TV with our special episode from RTC of Southern Nevada in Vegas. Now, as always, if you have a question, comment, or you'd like to be a guest on Transit Unplugged, please feel free to email us anytime at infotransitunplugged.com. Until next week, ride safe, ride happy.